0: Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Hi guys, my name is Andy and it's great to be here with you all this morning been part of the church thing about two and a half years now. It's kind of a flown by the last two and a half years. I often ask people this question. In the Bible, there are 66 books. If you could give somebody only five of those books in the Bible, which five books would you give them? A little ponder, a little thought. Think it through. See, there are some people who I know who are really passionate. say so It's all about Jesus. I would definitely give them Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John—the four accounts of the life of Jesus—and perhaps the Book of Acts. There are some that go, "Oh no, I really like theology. I'd give them the Leviticus to start off with, and then Romans. Somebody unpack the idea of law." For me, it's all about stories. So for me, it's the idea that the scripture tells this amazing story from Genesis and creation. And I go put it to Exodus, and then to a gospel, and then to Acts, the early church, and then to Revelation to kind of cap off this unfolding story. Whenever I meet worship people, I say, which books would you say? And they always say Psalms. And I go, really? It's just poetry. Is it really that important? Would you guys say Psalms or not? Some yes, some no, and a sea of maybe. Okay. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of them. Yeah, it's a good, good, good-sized book. But over the years, I've begun to, I guess, um, recognize the importance of the Psalms. And over the next few weeks, we're we'll going to be exploring these Psalms and what they mean for us here in the 21st century. Three things that I think are really helpful. First of all, it shows us how we can connect with God that people write these psalms, they haven't got it all together. They're often messed up individuals. And they come to God in their despair and in their angst and in their depression and in their success and in their delight and in their adoration, a whole bunch of different emotions. They can come to God as they are be reminded that it's so important that we haven't got to have it all together to come before God. We come as we are and say, God, in this situation now, I come to you. Second of all, I love it that the Psalms act as a template for how we can engage with God. Often we read things uh, online, very few books. Most things we read are between a few minutes old to a few years old. These Psalms are 3,000 years old. There's this long tradition in church history of reciting these psalms. It gives us a, a way, a template to engage with God. And There have been times in my life where I've struggled to have the words to pray, but I've used the psalms as a way to actually come before God. My dad was dying in hospital. I remember just reading Psalm 23 over him. The powerfulness of psalms as a template for prayer. But thirdly, and most importantly, the Psalms point us to God. They explore some big themes around forgiveness and hope and the presence of God. Actually, they point us to who God is. And many of these Psalms point us to who Jesus is. So perhaps the Psalms might make my top five, perhaps. I'm going to read to you Psalm 133 this morning to start off with. pew bibles here or your home bibles psalm 133 nice and short how good and pleasant it is when god's people live together in unity it is like precious oil poured on the head running down on the beard running down on aaron's beard down on the collar of his robe it is as if the dew of hermon were falling on mount zion For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. Last Sunday evening, after we watched England lose in the Euro final, there was a whole spate of horrendous things posted online. And we saw in many ways the disunity that we have in this nation. It was heartbreaking to see. But on the Monday, I think on the screen now is this picture here. This mural that had been defaced was now covered in people making a statement about unity, that this is England. We're from all different backgrounds, but we are one nation. It was a real sense of coming together. People posted their words of affirmation from Marcus Rashford for us being one nation. It's a powerful statement. This was a unity statement, that picture of Marcus Rashford. And today's psalm, as we're going to look at, specifically looks at the idea of unity. And again, it is a unity statement. It is a profound statement that is being made. It's important to understand the context. It was written by King David. He was probably there in his palace watching these people coming up to Jerusalem to worship. For at certain times of the year, the entire Israelite people would make their way up this big hill, up to the city of Jerusalem to attend certain festivals. They would line the paths coming up, making their way up. And it was a powerful moment as people from different parts of the nation came together, from the different tribes that often argued together. They were all coming up together, rich and poor, young and old and as they did so, they would recite these words that King David had written. They were remembering that though from very different backgrounds in different parts of the nation, they were one family. The theme of unity runs through scripture. But you might be thinking, well, hang on a second, this is a nice little psalm from 3,000 years ago, but what relevance does it have here today? We all know, I think, after last Sunday, what disunity looks like. Those scenes make me ashamed to be English. We've all experienced disunity in different ways. We've experienced disunity in perhaps our families. Disunity perhaps in our workplaces. Someone leaves the job and all goes very awkward. Disunity even in the church, and it is heartbreaking. Yet this psalm, I think, speaks directly into our real context here almost 3,000 years on. This theme runs through Scripture. And in the New Testament, we have a new covenant where all are welcome to become part of God's family. This new community, this new family is birthed. And again and again, Scripture talks about this new community being one of love, where actually we are unified in who God calls us to be. And perhaps most powerfully in John 17, the night before Jesus is arrested, he had a great meal with his friends, the final Passover, and then he prays. And you can't kind of think there are so many things that Jesus could be praying about that evening, so many big issues facing what's happening, but he prays this, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. The fact that Jesus prays this the night before shows not only the importance of being unified, but it also shows us that actually it was going to be a challenge. It was going to be difficult for us to be unified as the church. And he prays this, and it continues in John 17, verse 23. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. When we are one as the church, we are a powerful witness in the world. There are so many different factions in society, but when the church can be one, we powerfully speak of who God is. And with that in mind, this psalm begins with these powerful words in the opening verse, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. In the Hebrew kind of uh, language, there's no word for unity. So the word they use is when God's people live together, together. It says the same word twice. The idea of being together together. Make sense? Together, together. And the idea here, I think there's two things, that the use of the word good suggests being pleasing to God. Well, pleasant has a connotation of being pleasing to us. Some things are good, but not pleasant. And some things are pleasant, but not good. To give a very human example right now. My kids, uh, I try and get them five fruit and veg a day. It is one of the biggest challenges of my life. We all know that kale is good, but not pleasant. Yeah? <laughs> Strawberry milkshake is not good, but it is pleasant. Kale hidden in strawberry milkshake—now that is surprisingly good and pleasant. This psalm begins with the idea that unity is both good and pleasant. It's what God likes, but also we enjoy it. It is pleasurable for us as His church. When we're talking here about unity, we're talking about the idea of being family. It does not mean we have to agree on everything. And it does not mean uniformity, that we all have to wear the same clothes and sing the same songs, do the same thing. But it means that we have each other's backs, that we are on a common mission. As we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. That because of Jesus and the cross, we are unified in his mission. And yet, Christianity is one of the most divided faith groups in the world. And scripture would suggest that this really pains God. It's a strange thought, isn't it? That we can pain the heart of God by our disunity. David gives these two very Instagramable pictures of unity. Picture one is of Aaron's beard. You might think, who the heck is Aaron? Some random guy with a beard. (laughs) No, Aaron was uh, the first high priest, the brother-in-law of of Moses back in the uh, the beginning in Exodus. And um, the idea here is of this oil being anointed on his head, kind of falling down his head, going through his beard and dripping down his cloak. You i be thinking, what? That is a really weird image. Had he been to the chippy, first of all, what was going on here? But this oil wasn't like kind of a chip shop oil. It was a refreshing oil in a dry and dusty climate. It was a precious oil suitable for anointing a priest. And it was poured in abundance that it kept flowing and flowing and flowing, running from his head, through his beard, down his collar and onto his robes. If you read Exodus 28, verse 12, you discover this. That Aaron's robe had written on it, the 12 tribes of Israel. This was a powerful signal, a powerful sign, a powerful Instagram picture. That as the oil cascades down, it brings refreshment on the people of God, on the entirety of the people of God. Those tribes kept arguing and falling out, even fighting each other. But this powerful image says, no, you are one people. The second picture is of the dew from Mount Hermon falling on Mount Zion. Mount Hermon was a big mountain in the north. It was the highest mountain in Israel where dew was common. In contrast, Mount Zion is where Jerusalem is and where the temple was. It was a tiny mountain in comparison and was located in the southern part of the kingdom where often there was very little dew, especially in the summer. And the picture here again is of the cool and refreshing dew of Mount Hermon, refreshing the hot and dry Mount Zion. And again, the fact that Hermon's in the north and Zion is in the south, they're connected in this psalm. It's again a picture of unity. Both these powerful images remind us of two things. Firstly, that blessing comes from above it's the idea of the holy spirit at work as it runs down as it falls it's the same word that the blessing of god comes from him to us but secondly these images remind minds again of the importance of us as the church being unified i don't know about you but i want the blessing of god anybody else one person two people anymore <laughs> We want the blessing of God. I want to see the God blessing God not only on this church, but also on this community, on this place, on this city, on this nation. I want to see God transform and change lives. I want to see the kingdom of God established here on earth. I want to see lives transformed and turned upside down again. I want people coming to know who Christ really is. I want to see all this happen. I want the blessing of God, but there's something powerful about us being unified. The blessing comes as we are unified as the church. The question is this. Where am I, Andy Frost, a block to unity in the church? Where am I a block to unity in God's family? How can I help establish and build a greater sense of unity? You might think, well, hang on a This is a massive question. Where, where do you even begin? Well, first of all, let's talk about us here as V61. As a church community here in the Balaam area, how can we all help Build unity. Now, not everyone can meet here in person again. Some of us live living in different places, different health issues. But in a sense, that if we can come together at certain points, that is important. Unity is very hard to express by watching a screen for an hour a week. It has to be actually how are we investing in each other's lives? How are we being generous? How are we building up? How are we encouraging? How are we connecting? How are we doing life together? There are many pros of church online, church in your pyjamas, No commute, no awkward conversations. But actually, there's something powerful about coming together as well. And we can't lose that as we move into this new phase. What does it mean for us to be unified here as a congregation? Second of all, as the church in London, as the church in this nation, how can we build unity? You might be saying, hang on a sec, that's not my issue. Blame the bishops. Blame the hierarchy leaders, blame the vicars, blame the cardinals, blame the archbishops, blame Stephen Viv. It's their fault. It's not our fault. This is not our issue. But the truth is, it's actually all about us as well. It comes from our attitude towards other people, towards other churches, towards other groups who profess the name of Jesus. And my realization is this, that I do not have the perfect theology, and I do not have the perfect practices. I've lost my speaking now, but <laughs> I haven't got it all nailed perfectly. I haven't got everything wired down perfectly, but no one does. But unity comes with this sense of humility, of recognising that we have not got everything, but actually we are called to be one church in this place at this time. I have learned so much from other churches. From the Salvation Army, I've learned about Booth and his passion for social justice, which is so powerful and so important for today's world. I've learned from the Anglicans who say it isn't just about your congregation, but it's about your parish, your community that you are part of. I've learned from the reformed church the power of scripture how important it is to read and engage with scripture that it is God breathed. I've learned from the pentecostals the gift of the holy spirit the power of prayer. I've learned from the methodists the idea of Wesley's holiness and his passion for people to come to know Jesus. I've learned from the catholics their disciplines their fasting their pilgrimage their silence. I've learned from the coptics the importance of martyrdom and willingness up to give your life for the purpose of the gospel. Do I agree with everything they all believe? No. But the centrality of the cross and the centrality of Christ is what unites us. Where does God want to check my attitude when it comes to how I see and and view other people? Francis Chan writes this We need to stop thinking our primary duty toward our fellow believers is to critique them. It's not. Our primary duty is to love them. How do we love others? How do I think about other churches and other groups? How do I speak about other churches and other groups? How do I engage with other churches? I love being part of the Vineyard because and they've, they've nailed this in many, many ways. I love it how at their kind of National Leaders Conference, they often do an offering. And that offering isn't kept just for the vineyard movement, but often it's given away to other streams and other denominations. And you kind of think, well, hang on a there's more we could do here. But actually that generosity of spirit to say this is a kingdom thing, not just about building one style of church going forwards. It's the idea that to build unity is what we can do locally here as a church, what we can do in this bigger picture, and then finally what we can do as the global church. This morning, as we meet here, either via online or in this space here, there are countless other churches meeting. There were some meeting in really nice, fine cathedrals with beautiful stained glass windows. There were some meeting in underground caves hidden away because they might be killed for their faith. There are some meeting in pubs and people's homes. There are some meeting under trees in probably hot countries enjoying the nice sunshine like we are today. Various different places meeting in different ways. We are part of this global movement. And again, the danger we think is solely about what's happening here, and we miss out on the bigger thing that God is doing right across the nations. How are we learning from what God is doing in different places? How are we praying for what is happening right now in different nations? Praying for the church right now in South Africa. Praying for the church right now in Germany as all those horrendous floods have taken place. Praying for the church to be a real witness in these very difficult and challenging times. And how are we being generous to the global church? That we are one of the richest nations in the world. How are we being generous to help God's mission take place around the world? Psalm 133 finishes this. For there the Lord bestows his blessing even life forevermore. One of my roles uh, job-wise is I bring together about 27 borough church unity groups, where it's churches working across the borough to see kingdom transformation in that place. And it's been beautiful over the last 18 months to check in regularly with these different leaders and say, what's going on in your area? What you found that there are certain churches that say, well, we've got a building, but we've got no volunteers and no money. Another group saying, well, hang on a sec, we haven't got a building, but actually we, we've got some money we can invest. Oh, hey, we've got some volunteers. And because of this sense of commonality, this shared vision, being able to really serve some desperate situations across the capital. And it's beautiful to see, because that is how the church should be. And I believe that as we begin to come out of lockdown, we see again the divides in this nation. We also see the divide between the haves and the have-nots. That, that gap has widened and got more severe. I was on a call two weeks ago with Andy Burnham, the mayor of Greater Manchester, and Marvin Rees, the mayor of Bristol, talking about how the church can be a a, a unified group to bring about change at this time. Andy Burnham, not a Christian, but talked about how the church is the glue of society, how it can bring different groups together and the powerful role the church can play. But we have to be unified to do that. He doesn't want to speak to 84 different denominations about 84 different projects. He wants to speak to the church in that place. Marvin Rees M. on the course of this. Churches need to set an example. If we're going to come and ask politicians to chart a pathway to reconciliation across race and class lines and care for the poor, it's not a prophetic act to demand that of politicians and point out why the world is rubbish. Show us how it's done. Be the living example. The Christian faith, after all, is a faith all about reconciliation. When we are unified, it's what Jesus prays, we can have an impact. That blessing from God comes when we are unified as a church. Where is it that God is convicting me? And where is it that God is convicting you? The things we say, the things we think, the things we do. May we have a greater sense of unity here as a church, but also in this space and also in this city and also in this country, but also see how we can make a difference in the global church as well. We're going to have communion in a moment of time. The band are coming right now, I think. And communion is a really important thing, isn't it? Because it's this meal Jesus shares to the disciples before he goes to the cross. And it's this meal that really unites us in many ways, that we are one church. Paul writes this in Ephesians 4, verses 4 to 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We are one church. And it's the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus that unites us all together. Just before we take communion right now, let's just be quiet for a moment right now. Perhaps as we've been exploring this sense of unity, God right now wants to convict you. Perhaps there is a broken relationship where you need to make amends of some sort. Perhaps there is an attitude you've been harboring, even locally or to another group, that God wants to to challenge right now. Perhaps you fail to see maybe how you can be generous to the wide world church. Holy Spirit, would you convict us? We so long to have your blessing. And we thank you for this ancient psalm and how it speaks into our lives today. We can't do this without your spirit coming down. We, We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come into our lives to challenge us, to shape us, to mould us. May we be one church here, God. One church in this place, one church in this city, one church in this nation, one church on this globe. And help us to play our part in that. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.